0: Hey everybody, this is Hafsa and you are listening to Decrypted, a weekly podcast that delves into politics and history to decrypt complex topics. It doesn't matter what your background is, get yourself a cup of coffee or tea if you're a tea person, because in today's episode we're talking about a sensitive topic: Catagon or poor man's cocaine, or the double-edged sword that the Syrian regime is using. But uh, before we dive in, and for those of you who don't know, Captagon is a synthetic drug. And guess what? It was not always classified as a narcotic substance. Interesting, right? Well, uh, when it was first introduced in Germany around 1961, uh, it was used to treat health conditions like depression and ADHD, But later, scientists realized that they made a big mistake when they discovered that Captagon is addictive and harmful for mental and physical health. So, of course, the legal production of Captagon stopped, but some countries in East Europe, like Bulgaria, they continued making it and relying on Turkey as a transit point to supply the Middle East. And... You should know that back at the time, supply to the Middle East was not that difficult because the regional scene was full of wars and conflicts, and the region was undergoing massive changes. So who would really stop and think, hey, Captagon is a serious threat and we must unite our forces and fight it? No one, right? And... Of course, priorities didn't include fighting narcotics, and uh, it goes without saying that Middle East countries didn't have solid laws to prevent and combat drug supply and synthesis. But what about today? What does CapTagon have to do with the regime of Bashar al-Assad, and why is this regime involved in drugs? And what about Syria's neighbors? How does Captagon impact them? And what are they doing in response? And is there any chance that one day the regime will stop the production of Captagon? In today's episode, I will answer these questions. Let's dive in. In the first three months of this year, authorities across the Middle East seized around 100 million pills of Captagon. That's a lot, right? So, together, let's capture the intricacies of this drug by taking a look into the Syrian revolution more than a decade ago. In 2011, Tunisia witnessed demonstrations to protest against injustice. And at the very beginning, no one knew that the developments in Tunisia would have a butterfly effect and give birth to the Arab uprisings. And Syria is no exception here, because in spring of that year, thousands of people flooded the streets to demand social justice. And Quickly, the slogan started calling for Bashar al Assad to leave because al Assad family had been ruling Syria since 1971. And of course, that rule was anything but democratic. The current president's father, Hafid, was a dictator, and Syrians will never forget the Hama massacre when the army besieged the city of Hama for nearly a month and started killing people and destroying the city in response to an uprising against the government. So when Syrians saw the overthrow of presidents Ben Ali in Tunisia and Mubarak in Egypt, they thought they might also have a chance to make change happen. But the Syrian regime showed that it was not ready to make concessions towards the people. And here, Assad or the shy doctor who was never meant to be president, he showed that he inherited and learned a lot from his father, Hafid. On top of the list, he learned that surviving meant cracking down on citizens who ask for justice and freedom, because that would develop into claims for political reform, and why not? Regime change. So he chose violence over dialogue and war over peace. So, what started as protests to express the will of the people became a full-fledged civil war. And quickly, many actors rushed and joined the Syrian battlefield, either to support the regime or to topple it. And the internal aspect of the war waned and that gave birth to a proxy war. For example, Hezbollah, Iran, and Russia they have been supporting Assad, while Turkey and many other countries they chose the opposition side. And at this point you may ask, but what does the revolution have to do with Captagon? Well, when the war broke out, the United States, the European Union, and other powerful western countries They started imposing sanctions to deter Assad from using violence against civilians. And despite the generous support from Russia and Iran, sanctions managed to suffocate the regime. So, Assad and his team started looking for funds to sustain their rule and power grip. And here, Captagon was an appealing source of money especially in 2018, the year when the regime regained control over parts of the territory. And in that same year, precisely, Catagon seizures increased drastically in neighboring countries, but also in Europe. But who's responsible for Kaptagon? That's the real question here, right? Is it Bashar al-Assad? personally? Is it his associates? Who exactly? And here, if we follow the government's narrative, neither Assad nor his regime or government are responsible. And according to that same rhetoric, they're victims of a drug that is ravaging the country, and they're trying so hard, they're trying their best to fight it by tightening anti narcotic measures. But To what extent is this true, or is it even true? Well, in Syria, there is a Captagon Empire, and no matter what direction you choose to take, it will always lead you to the regime. From the bottom to the top of the pyramid, it's all linked to Assad, directly or indirectly. But the primary person responsible here is Mahir al-Assad, the brother of Bashar. Mahir is an army general who occupied several roles in the military and he committed many human rights violations way before 2011. So we're talking about a man of the regime, a member of Al-Assad family who's very powerful and has close relations with Hezbollah in Lebanon. And we're also talking about a man who built a large network in several businesses like cigarettes, steel, and narcotics. Now, do you remember the year 2018 when kapta seizures skyrocketed? You do, right? Well, that same year, Maher became head of the so-called Ford Division. And basically, the 4th Division is an army unit extremely loyal to the regime. And it is charged with protecting it against all threats. So we're talking about external and internal threats. And that same division and its leader are the backbone of the captagon industry. And um, in Syria, there are many captagon factories, but we don't have precise numbers. And so one part of Captagon is smuggled through the land borders to um, Jordan, Turkey, Iraq, and Gulf countries. And the other part is smuggled to Africa and Europe from the port of Ladochia. And um, Jordan here is an interesting transit country for the Syrian regime because Captagon can be smuggled to Jordan. And then if all goes well, it can be smuggled to Gulf countries where consumption is the highest. And um, by the way, Saudi Arabia is currently the first consumer. And unfortunately, there is a high demand, especially among young people. And on a side note, can you believe that between 2019 and 2020, the Saudi authorities seized around 30 tons of drugs and, you know, 99% was captagon. But how does captagon get to those countries? And you may think, well, the regime must have some robust smuggling network, right? Well, it indeed does the regime relies primarily on commercial trucks and civilians. And we're specifically talking about civilians who live in precarity. And so the regime mobilizes them and in exchange it pays them a lot of money when they successfully complete any smuggling mission. And you know, women and children are also mobilized as smugglers. And uh Uh, By the way, a few months ago, uh, around April, Jordanian authorities killed a 14-year-old boy. Now, I have a question for you. Smugglers work for the regime, we all agree on that, right? Now, if we take a group of smugglers who are, say, for example, army members, we can say that they have direct links with the Assad regime. But what about civilians? aren't they victims? Isn't a 14-year-old teenager a victim? And was shooting him really, really the only option available for Jordanian authorities? And is the fact that he was carrying Captagon the only reason that made him a legitimate target? The Jordanian authorities could have tracked and arrested him, but why kill especially because we know the action of killing wouldn't deter the regime or push it to think, oh, they're killing our smugglers, we probably should leave the business of narcotics. That's not how it goes, unfortunately. When a country targets a Captagon smuggler, the regime is able to recruit another and then another and then another one and it is able to come up with new smuggling techniques to overcome the increasingly sophisticated surveillance. Now, we understand that the Captagon industry generates tons of money for the Assad regime, but how is that linked to the regional scene? Well, Assad uses Captagon as a bargaining chip to twist the arms of neighboring countries. And so, transit and destination countries are deploying tremendous resources to fight Captagon, and here we're mainly talking about financial and human resources. But we should not forget the health impact of Captagon, because the Assad regime is currently leading a war on youth and societies. And many countries like Jordan and Saudi Arabia, they now have health facilities to treat catagon addicts. So now we clearly see that Assad's blackmail for fellow Arab countries is paying off. And as you probably know, the Arab League readmitted Syria after a 12-year absence. And Assad said with fellow Arab rulers at this year's summit in in Saudi Arabia as if all was going well, like war in Syria, what is that? Or Russia's bombings, what are you talking about? Uh, Torture, disappearances, it's all allegations. We don't have that in Syria. And so if we keep these truths to the side and say, Maybe Arab countries voted to readmit Syria because they wanted to negotiate with Assad. If this hypothesis was valid, three things should have happened. First, Assad admitting that his regime is behind the Captagon industry. And second, giving a solid guarantee that his regime would stop producing and smuggling Captagon. And third, and that's the most important aspect, release information about the victims. What happened to the disappeared? Where are they? Are they alive? Are they dead? If so, where are they? And it is this last question that haunts the families of regime victims. They all want to know the truth about where their relatives are. But Bashar al-Assad didn't display commitment to end the war simply because his regime wouldn't make profit from a peaceful and stable Syria. So between the Syrian regime Bashar al-Assad, Mahir al-Assad and many other notorious names Captagon is increasingly becoming a threat to national and health security in many countries, especially Syria's neighbors. Assad and his team have used Captagon as a double-edged sword. The drug generates billions of US dollars, it destroys the youth and creates a burden for neighbors. But we see that Arab rulers are given many concessions to Assad and that grants his regime power and legitimacy. And the concessions also convey that the lives of Syrian men, women and children are cheap and that the fate of the disappeared doesn't really matter. And here it's important that countries where human rights standards are high stop turning a blind eye on Syria. You know why? because the war in Syria is first and foremost a human tragedy. Thank you very much for listening to this episode from start to finish. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends, colleagues and family. If you have any questions, comments or remarks, please find me on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. I would also be happy if you suggest topics that you want me to decrypt for you, and in the meantime, take care, stay safe, and stay tuned for the next episode in which I will decrypt what is happening to migrants in Tunisia.